Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Stadium on a typically scorching Kansas City weekend. It is the Throwback League in a Sweet 16 matchup, bringing you back to 1985. It's Brett Saberhagen and the Royals take on the powerful 1995 Cleveland Indians. Where they'll counter with fellow right-hander Oral Hershiser. Josh Lewin with you for what should be a terrific pitching matchup. Hershiser towards the end of his brilliant career, but the 21-year-old Saberhagen just getting started and if you're just getting started with the throwback league we've got kind of a march madness thing happening here it's a bracket of 48 world series teams called from your youth if your youth is my youth 1974 through 2006 we're going to get a champion out of all of this by the time it's done tonight and and i'm sorry do you not want to run outside and toss a ball into the air for yourself to catch right now let's get you going with a peek at the home team here, let's start with the seven seed out of this bracket, the 85 Royals. Hall of Fame Sunday Night Baseball announcer John Miller has this recollection. In 85, everybody talks about, in, in game six, the call at first base where the, the runner was called safe by Don Denkinger, the, the veteran umpire, and he clearly blew the call. But what Cardinal fans seem to forget is that there was a subsequent pop-up in foul ground that landed by the dugout, and the first baseman uh, didn't even go over it, just assumed it was going to be back in the seats. Well, that ball needs to be caught, and the whole inning would have been over. Uh, and then they, the, the, there was a, a, I don't know, a wild pitch, there was an error, the other things happened, uh, and the pitcher couldn't seem to get anybody out. And even Earl Weaver weighed in on it when I asked him about it uh, after the fact, and he said... Uh, if that happened to you, then the only thing you'd be talking about is that the guy got it wrong, and if he'd gotten it right, the inning would have been over. And so everything else is irrelevant after that. But uh, uh, for me, certainly that was huge, but they had plenty of other chances to not let it get away. Thanks, John. We'll get back to the homestand in Kansas City Royals in just a bit. But first, the upstart 11 seed from this corner of the bracket, the 95 Indians, managed by Michael Dudley Hargrove. They've already won in two upsets here in the throwback league against the 1990 Reds and the 89 Oakland A's. I'll ask the question, are the late 90s or mid-90s Indians the best team never to win a World Series? I'd like to say yes to that. 
I, I mean, I think it's quite possible. I don't go all the way back to the 1907-09 Tigers. They lost three straight World Series with Ty Cobb and Sam Crawford. Uh, 1911 and 1917 New York Giants lost four World Series. That's a candidate. They had Christy Mathewson uh, in 1905, so at least they got a ring out of that. 1946-50 to 50 Red Sox is a good one. Uh, they lost a, a World Series in that time, averaging 95 wins a year. They had Ted Williams, of course. The Dodgers, between 74 and 78, lost three World Series. They were very good. They only had one Hall of Famer, though. That was Don Sutton. So that brings us to these 95 Indians onto the 01 Indians. They lost two World Series, four other playoff series in that time. Their core was Tomey, Ramirez, Lofton, Bell, Vizquel. They had Robbie Alomar in and out of there. Carlos Baerga, David Justice, Eddie Murray, Travis Fryman. Go to 99, the Indians scored more than 1,000 runs. Only team to get to 1,000 since 1950. But here in 95, having lost the World Series to Atlanta, uh, and clearly that would have been the answer to this question if not for that season. The 97 Indians losing an extra innings game, seven walk off to the Marlins. You put all that in the blender. Maybe the, the late 90s, early 00 Mariners with Griffey and A-Rod, Randy Johnson, Ichiro, Edgar Martinez. Um, I'd even give you the 2011 to 2014 Tigers, who only got to one World Series, but they had three first ballot Hall of Famers there. It was Verlander, Scherzer, and Cabrera, and Victor Martinez and J.D. Martinez. So just putting that out there, but in 95, the Indians were amazing. 100 wins in a 144-game season. This was the shortened season because of uh, starting late, coming out of the 94 strike. Cal Ripken, though, kind of saved baseball in 95, right? Got that 2,131st game on his resume, and everybody kind of made up with baseball. And the two best teams made it to the World Series, Indians and Braves, for the first time since 1954, the Indians in the World Series. They had won the AL Central by 30 games. Met the Red Sox initially in the postseason. They have Mo Vaughn and a lot of other good players, but it was a sweep for the Indians. The other ALDS, that was a great one, Seattle and the Yankees, with Seattle having to come all the way back. But this is after they uh, had the 13-game comeback on the Angels to force the one-game playoff. Mariners winning games three and four, forcing the classic game five. Edgar Martinez with a famous double that scored Joey Cora and Ken Griffey Jr. In the ALCS, well, the Mariners actually won game one, but then it was Dennis Martinez and Oral Hershiser, the Indians managing to knock off Seattle in six. The NLDS, by the way, was kind of the opposite of the New York-Seattle series. The Reds, who had run away with the Central, swept the Dodgers, and the Braves took both games against Colorado at Coors Field before the Rockies uh, stole one in game three. But the Braves finished off the Rockies at home in game four, set up the NLCS where the Braves swept the Reds. So you had your 95 World Series, Braves and Indians. Braves took the first two at home against Cleveland. You go to Jacobs Field, the Indians winning games three and five, but a big win in game four, as it turned out, because that set up the Braves to win the whole dang thing. In game six, they did that on the power of an eight-inning one-hitter from Glavin. They got a Dave Justice solo home run. That was it. And that made the Braves the first team to win World Series in three different home cities. as the Boston Braves, Milwaukee Braves, and Atlanta Braves. But they kept the Tribe without a World Series title since back in the 1950s. As for what they've got here tonight in Kansas City, let's get you right to the lineup here. And it turns out to be, I think you'll agree, a very familiar lineup. 
if you're of a certain age. Kenny Lofton leading off in center. Eddie Murray, the DH. Albert Bell in left. Manny Ramirez, just 23. He's in right. Young Jim Tomey at third base. Paul Sorrento's at first. Carlos Baerga at second. Tony Pena, the catcher. And Omar Vizquel, the shortstop, batting number nine. Now, with Oral Hershiser on the mound, a very youthful-looking 36, let's start talking about who he's up against. The 85 Royals, led by the two Bretts, George at the plate, Brett Saberhagen on the mound. And the 85 Royals won the AL West for a second straight season, sixth time in 10 years. 91-71, and 71, and that was their uh, regular season record. That was enough to get it done. Saberhagen with that Cy Young Award at 21. They would go on to play two really interesting playoff series. In the World Series, a bench player, Dane Orch, had the game-winning hit against the Cardinals in Game 6. Jim Sundberg scoring ahead of the throw from the Cardinals' Andy Van Slyke. But, of course, before all that, Todd Worrell covering at first base on that ground ball from George Orta. Clark flips to Worrell. Don Denkinger blows the call. But, you know, even after that, Clark and Daryl Porter let a foul ball drop untouched. Porter then later got crossed up on a slider that moved runners to second and third and set all that up. Game seven was all Saberhagen. He was loose, relaxed, even mugging it up for the cameras in the dugout at the age of 21. In control, poised, strike thrower of the highest order even on the big stage. He went all the way in an 11-0 shutout. Al Michaels noted on the TV broadcast there were no mounted policemen on horses on the field when it was over to, to keep out the riffraff. Courteous Kansas City fans don't do riffraff. Everyone celebrated energetically but politely as the Royals had their very first World Series title. It was a five-hitter for Saberhagen, beating John Tudor. It was 11-0 by the bottom of the fifth, and that would be the final. Dick Hauser, the manager, and after it was all over, Al sent it down to the clubhouse for Reggie Jackson, of all people, to interview Dick Hauser and Royals ownership. Let's listen in. We have absolute excitement in the Kansas City clubhouse. Dick Hauser, congratulations to you. Thank you, Reggie. It's a, it's been a long haul, but it's well worth it. I'm not surprised that we did it. I'm surprised how we did it. A blowout ball game. Mr. Fogelman, how do you feel? Well, Reggie, I just feel fantastic. I'm just very honored to be involved with such a great organization and great people, and I'm a lucky guy, and I really appreciate being here. Mr. Kaufman, I've played against your ball club a long time. You beat us too, Reggie. I want to say that when the Royals lost, they lost with dignity, and when we win, we win the same way. Well, you certainly have proved that tonight. The Commissioner of Baseball, Peter Uberoff, has a trophy to present, the World Championship Trophy to the Kansas City Royals. Get a hold of that, boy. It's a courageous team, Reggie. Courageous folks. We got it. Congratulations, you guys. How about that? Okay. I got, got it. it. Yeah. How about that? All right. Good. All right. Dick, tell me about the ball, the, the ball game tonight. You guys, you know, you had uh, John Tudor and Brett Saberhagen pitching yeah. tonight. Did Reggie. you ever expect an outcome like this? Reggie. You just never know what's going to happen in this game. I knew Saberhagen would pitch a good ball game. He's done it all year. Uh, I'm surprised it was a blowout game, but you know baseball. Anything can happen. Now, sadly, Dick Hauser passed away not long after that World Series celebration. Brain cancer took his life in 1987. Royals closer Dan Quisenberry, same story in 1988. But let's cheer you up a little bit here with a look at Pop Culture 85, just to set the framework for you since this game is being played here in the mid-1980s. So lots of big hair, even in the Midwest right now. 
fashions being set by the likes of Madonna and Cindy Lauper. Back to the Future was big at the box office this summer. Other movies out that month, you had Day of the Dead, Silverado, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Also, the week of the Back to the Future release, uh, Phil Collins' No Jacket Required was on top of the Billboard album chart. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA was in the mix. Madonna's Like a Virgin. Wham! had Make It Big, giggity. And Tina Turner with Private Dancer. New and notable TV, you had the debuts of MacGyver, Gem, truly, truly outrageous. The Golden Girls just started up, uh, Growing Pains, Larry King Live, hello. Top-rated returning shows, you had The Cosby Show, you had Family Ties with Alex P. Keaton, you had Murder, She Wrote for the Older Crowd. Pictionary, the popular guessing word game, debuted that year. And that actually became a, a TV show, too. Super Mario Brothers released, and so was New Coke. Thankfully, Classic Coke was soon relaunched, and we all went on with our lives from there. Let's get back to baseball. The Royals lineup's being introduced by Royal Stadium PA announcer, Mr. Jack Lee. And here is what he's talking about tonight. Leading off, Willie Wilson in left, Lonnie Smith in center. George Brett at third, of course, and Steve Balboni at first. Hal McRae, the DH, Frank White at second. Daryl Motley's in right. Onyx Concepcion gets to call it shortstop, and the catcher is the great Jim Sunberg. Very underrated player. Brett Saberhagen on the mound, wearing 31 on his back. The royal blue numerals on the bright white uniforms. Blonde hair, a little hint of a mustache and goatee. 20 wins, 6 losses, 287 ERA, which did not lead the team, by the way. The 17-9 Charlie Liebrandt was in at 269. But it was Sabes, who uh, is a 19th round pick, by the way. Debuted at the age of 19. That was out of Grover Cleveland High School in Reseda, California. He will pitch against Cleveland tonight. And this is the year he won that first Cy Young Award ahead of Ron Guidry and Burt Blylevin. They were a distant second and third. In fourth place, the man who saved a lot of the wins for Saberhagen, Dan Quisenberry. But yeah, in 85, you're talking about a 21-year-old Cy Young winner in the AL, a 20-year-old Cy Young in the NL in Doc Gooden. Gooden almost won it the year before at 19, lost out to Rick Sutcliffe, who in fairness did go 16-1 for the Cubs. Future Cub, Kenny Lofton, to lead it off. But for so much of his great career, the engine of the Indians... Here in 95, 3'10 hitter. Seven home runs, 53 batted in, 54 stolen bases. And the pitch to the lefty to open things up is foul. Down your first base coach, Dave Nelson. It is nothing in one. Check that defense for you here in Kansas City. Wilson, Smith, and Motley, the outfielders. Round the horn first to third, Balboni, White, Concepcion, and Brett. Brett is in a little bit, guarding against the bunt. Pitch is outside, one and one. To a man who would have fit in very well on this speedy Kansas City team. Five times Lofton will end up winning the American League stolen base title. He would have loved zipping around this AstroTurf. Pitch is outside to him, two and one. Lofton with 11 postseason appearances, including World Series appearances here in 95 and then 02 with the Giants. He bounced around quite a bit. 01 to 07, never spent more than one year in a row with a team. But a very steady nine and a half seasons with the Indians, helping the organization win six division titles. 
Here's a pitch. Chopped on the ground near short, and there's Onyx Concepcion. Gliding, firing, got him. And there's one down. That will bring up the 39-year-old switch hitting Eddie Murray. Yeah, 39, and he hit 323 this year. 21 homers, 82 runs batted in. Steady Eddie Murray. Not a speedster like Lofton, but so athletic. In fact, he was 5 for 5 stealing bases this year, close to 40 years old. Of course, he's known for other things first. Taking here, and it's a strike, nothing in one. Murray batting left against the righty Saber Hagen. Murray, an eight-time All-Star. World Series champion with the Orioles, rookie of the year. Back in 1977, had to beat out Mitchell Rage Page of Oakland and Bump Wills of the Rangers. Murray also a three-time Gold Glove Award winner. Pitch coming, line shot near third, but there's George Brett. He's got it. Eddie Murray just about lined one the other way and had that gotten by Brett. Boy, you never know with this AstroTurf how things are going to bounce around and pinball. It's two down. Here's Albert Bell. Wow, what a season. 317 hitter, 50 home runs. The only player to have 50 homers, 50 doubles in the same season. And remember, 1995, just 144 game season. He's still got this milestone, 52 doubles, 50 jacks. Taking in the dirt from Saberhagen. A breaking ball, it's 1-0. Yeah, Albert Bell still finished second, not first, for MVP. Mo Vaughn got it. Vaughn hit 300 with 39 home runs, but he was a bad first baseman. Bell kind of an indifferent left fielder, but didn't really hurt you. Vaughn actually had more first place votes than Bell. It was 12 to 11. As the pitch roars in for a strike, it's one and one. I think Vaughn's win came down to a couple of factors. Number one, the Red Sox won a close AL East race against the Yankees. The Indians just marauded their way through the Central. And also, Bell had a, a monster final month after Cleveland had already wrapped up the division. 17 of his home runs coming in September. In fact, you look at August and September, how about 350 for a batting average, 31 homers, 62 runs batted in in two months. Pitches outside, 2-1, and one, no score. Obviously, Bell being so difficult with the media, that conspired against him. But, you know, it's funny. You look at baseball reference, and their page says that the, the war leader wins above replacement for 1995. It wasn't Vaughn. It wasn't Bell. It was John Valentin, teammate of Mo Vaughn in Boston. Pitch coming. Hit sharply on the ground, and there's the second baseman, Frank White, one step to his left, and tosses to first. So, there you go. It's a nice, quick, easy inning for Brett Saberhagen against a very tough Cleveland lineup. Middle of the first, there is no score. The 1995 Indians sent away. Let's keep it here in 1995. A noble warrior advised, the art of protection springs from within. One must stay vigilant against one's unfragrant perspiration, lest one provoke a hostile response. Thus, a Norse ritual is right guard sportsman. An aromatic array of the freshest scents and maximum protection against disarming wetness. Confirming the wisdom, the best defense <laughs> is not to offend. Right guard sports stick. Anything less will be uncivilized. 
Thank you, Chuck Norris, back in Kansas City. As for something we can tell you about right now here in 2020 you can really enjoy, it's Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, the most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. With responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf is an experience like no other. Oral Hershiser on the mound for the 95 Indians, 16-6, and 3.87 ERA at the age of 36. Working with a close-to-40-year-old catcher tonight in Tony Pena. You've got the 41-year-old Dennis Martinez in this rotation, too. You've got a, a good ERA for Dennis Martinez, a good ERA for Oral Hirschheiser, and some other guys that, that aren't great, but okay. Charles Nagy, Mark Clark, Chad OJ. But the way these guys hit, good is plenty. And Oral Hirschheiser talked to us here at the Throwback League about why he was even in Cleveland in the first place and mentioned all that as a factor. Well, I spent three years with the Tribe, and it was fantastic. Uh, there were a lot of reasons that I chose Cleveland. Uh, the first was nearing the end of my career, I wanted to be an American leaguer at some point so I would be a better baseball person after retirement experiencing American League ball. The next thing was is that I wanted to play for a team that averaged about seven and a half runs a game because I wasn't the pitcher I used to be. And I also wanted to make sure I had a bullpen and a defense behind me. So when you look out there and you see Omar Vizquel and Kenny Lofton, you're pretty strong up the middle. And when you look to the bullpen, you see Jose Mesa and some others that lead up to him. You go, you know what? This is a good place to experience American League ball. And boy, was it two World Series, three playoffs, lost to the Braves, a fantastic outing by Tom Glavin, and a home run by Dave Justice, beat us in 95. And then in 97, it couldn't have been more of a heartbreak to go into extra innings in Game 7 against the Marlins and lose that one when the chicken ran at midnight. I'll tell you what, the intensity in Cleveland at that time the Indians were the only sport in town because the Browns weren't doing real well or even existed at the time. Uh, the <laughs> Cavaliers weren't doing much, and the Indians were the only game in town. So we were selling out the Jake, and it was just a fantastic, fantastic opportunity and a fantastic experience other than getting that ring at the very end, a couple of American League championship rings and no World Series ring, but still to this day, anytime I'm around a Cleveland Indians fan, they remember those three years. Appreciate Oral Hershiser with his commentary. He's got to face Willie Wilson now, the switch hitting leadoff man, no score. 278 batter here in 85 is Willie Wilson. Four home runs, 43 steals. This is the guy that played the game with an intense chip on his shoulder. Best speed and raw athletic skills on the team. Pitches poured in for a strike at 0 1. Willie Wilson turned down a football scholarship to Maryland after he was drafted in the first round by the Royals. Had a terrible 1980 World Series, but an 85, 367 batting average. Future Oakland A and Chicago Cub fouls this one at the plate. It's nothing in two. And defensively for the Indians. Looking at Kenny Lofton in center, flanked by Ramirez and Bell. Tommy at third, Sorrento across the diamond at first and up the middle. It's a good look with Bayerga and Vizquel at second and short. Tony Pena got that one leg out doing the catching here. Next delivery. Called third strike. Got it on the outside corner. Boy, the pitching is sharp both ways starting out. One down and here's Lonnie Smith. 
257 hitter, six home runs. He's a 40 stolen base guy, too. Hard-nosed outfielder. Traded in from St. Louis in May. And, of course, he got to face his old team in that I-70 World Series. Hershiser in, ladles it over the inside corner, strike one. Lonnie Smith was on that World Series team in Philly in 1980 against the Royals. Cardinals in 82, World Series. Next delivery. Swing and a miss. No balls, two strikes. And it's funny, Lonnie Smith, it seemed his career might be over after 87, but Bobby Cox signed him to a minor league deal in Atlanta. He would prove to be a key player as the Braves began their playoff run that lasted for a very long time. Next one in the dirt from Hershiser, wasting one low. One and two. Was a great ballpark for Smith and his speed. He and Wilson can both go get it in the outfield. 330 down the lines here, 375 to the alleys, 410 to center. And again, AstroTurf, meaning that the ability to go get it, you're never going to be tripping on grass. But boy, that ball can take off on that AstroTurf. A lot of inside the park home runs get hit here. Here's the one two. Swing and a miss, strike three. What a start. Oral Hershiser, two up, two down on two strikeouts. But here comes George Brett. 30 homers, 112 runs batted in. His batting average of 335 this year stands out like a beacon on his team. Because all around him, you got Sunberg, 254, Balboni, 243, White, 249. The shortstops hit a combined 199. Mentioned Lonnie Smith, 257. Daryl Motley, 222. Hal McRae, the DH, and he's a 259. The bench, Pat Sheridan, 228. John Watson, 234. But here's Brett at 335. This kind of rises out of the landscape like a skyscraper on the Midwestern Prairie here. The pitch is high to him. It's 1-0. Face of the franchise, monster 85 season. We gave you the stats, but also a gold glove. MVP of the ALCS against Toronto. Hit 370 in the World Series. He had a four-hit night in Game 7. The pitch, a fastball outside. 2-0 to Brett. Bases clear. Two down, no score. Of course, the numbers kept rolling after the World Series. Brett finishing his career with a, a third batting title. 3,154 hits by the end, most by a third baseman, Hall of Fame player. Pitch in there for a strike two and one. And in retirement, he and his older brother Bobby started a baseball equipment company. Had a stake in a lot of minor league franchises. Failed to actually buy the team when it came for sale in 98, but still with the club. Vice president, special instructor and all of that. Left-hand batter wearing number five on his back. Here's the pitch. Hit in the air towards right, not too deep. Manny Ramirez has it tracked. He's got it. And that retires the side. No runs, no hits, no errors. Nobody left. End of one, no score. The 1985 Kansas City Royals, the home team, were back after this. Crow Wing, Minnesota, and old Milwaukee both mean something great to these guys. 
bright, big, and mean. And Old Milwaukee means a great beer. Cold, crisp, Old Milwaukee beer. And smooth, golden, Old Milwaukee light. It's a beauty. And Old Milwaukee. And Old Milwaukee light. Taste as great as their name. You know, doesn't get any better than this. Josh Lewin back with you. Manny Ramirez leads it off now for Cleveland in the top of the second. 23-year-old hitting 308, 31 home runs here in 1995. One of eight 300 hitters on this roster. We mentioned the Royals have just one. Pitch to the right-hand batter, and that sails inside. It's 1-0. Nine-time silver slugger, 500 home run hitter, 21 grand slams. That's third all-time. 29 postseason home runs, the most in Major League history for this 12-time All-Star who now takes low. It's 2-0. The Indians taking Manny 13th overall in the 1991 draft. Brian Taylor, Mike Kelly, and David McCarty went 1-2-3. The Royals picked 7th in 95. They wanted an outfielder. Could have had Manny. They opted for Joe Vitiello out of the University of Alabama. Oops. Pitch coming from Saberhagen that is lofted into left center. It's going to be a base hit. Dropping down on one hop played back in. So the Indians get the leadoff man on. And here comes Jim Tomey, another terrific young hitter. 314 batting averages here, 25 home runs. Now, Tomey was not a first-round prospect. In fact, he wasn't picked 13th overall. He was picked in the 13th round from Limestone, Illinois in 1989. He was a 333rd overall pick, an afterthought. And by the end of his Hall of Fame career, 612 home runs. He takes on the inside edge, strike one. Look at that 89 draft. Ben McDonald went first to the Orioles, and Tyler Houston, the catcher, he went to the Braves. Roger Salkeld to the Mariners was third. Jeff Jackson never played in the majors. He went fourth to the Phillies. Donald Harris barely played in the majors. He was fifth to the Rangers. Paul Coleman to the Cardinals, an outfielder, never played in the majors. Pitches low, one and one. Tomey's got a unique batting stance, holds that bat out with his right hand, points it at right field before the pitcher throws, something he first saw in the movie The Natural. Just a great attitude, gregarious personality taking here outside 2-1 and one. and Tomey will go with the Indians till 0-2 on to the Phillies 0-3-0-5 the White Sox for four years the Dodgers for just a little bit the Twins for a year and a half back to the Indians back to the Phillies he ended with the Orioles in 2012 here's the pitch and it's slapped towards White it is dropping it's down for a base hit Ramirez will be looked back to second two on nobody out that ball feathering down like that Dane Orge hit off Todd Worrell in World Series Game 6 in this ballpark. So with two on, nobody out. Here is Paul Sorrento, not a bunting type. Does have 25 home runs. And it's funny that this traditional position of power and popularity, first base, that's not really the way it goes for these 95 Indians. You can make a case that Sorrento is the most anonymous starter on the whole team. Left-hand batter ready. Pitches inside. Oh, he got his tower buzzed. And that's a Brett Saberhagen special. I mean, Saberhagen's got the great control like we talked about, but he will try to knock down one hitter every game, usually first time through the order. 
He never really talked about it that I know of, but it, he never forgot to do it. You, you can bank it. One hitter in the early innings of every game is going to wind up on his behind. He's doing that at the age of 21. Here's a 1-0 pitch. That's rolled on the ground towards Frank White at second base to Concepcion for one. That's all they're going to get. It'll be first and third, one man out. With Sorrento now that runner at first base. Onyx Concepcion trying to turn that. Of course, Buddy Biancalana took over the shortstop job down the stretch. Played error-free through the postseason and then came up huge. Lifetime 205 hitter, hit close to 300 in the World Series. Had the game-winning hit in Game 5 and his 15 minutes of fame leading him to that late-night seat alongside David Letterman. Somehow really consumed with Buddy Biancalana. But anyway, here's Carlos Baerga. Switch hitter batting 314, 15 homers. More walks than strikeouts. Doesn't have a lot of either one. Up against Saber Hagen, MVP of the 85 World Series. Subject of a lot of media attention during that series, his wife gave birth to his first son, Drew, the very same night of that infamous Don Denkinger call at first base. Pitch is high, it's 1-0. Saber Hagen will develop a weird pattern of successful seasons in odd-numbered years. 85, 87, 89, 91, but then poor performances in even-numbered years. That'll be his thing for basically half his career. Pitch is in the dirt this time, 2-0. Nice block by Sunberg. Of course, when it was all over for Sabes, you're talking about a career that went a couple of decades known as a consummate teammate. Right-hander setting. Runners have their leads. And now the pitch. Hit on the ground again towards White. Going to try this again. A Concepcion for one. Back to first. It is not in time. Run scores. one nothing. There'll be a runner at first and two out now. Well, give Bayerga some credit. He moves pretty well. Might not figure that to look at him. But he's a guy that steals probably 15, 20 bases a year. And busting it down the line. Able to barely beat it out at first base. No Don Denkinger mentions here. Looked like legitimately safe at first base. It's a 1-0 lead. And here is Tony Pena, the 38-year-old catcher. Two gold glove caliber catchers in this game, Pena and Sunberg. Now Saberhagen behind 1-0. Eventually will become a Met. The Kevin McReynolds, Greg Jeffries, Keith Miller deal. This pitch is low. It's 1-0 to Pena. There was a season, the uh, 94 season with the Mets. He had more wins than walks, did Saberhagen. 14-13. That is incredible. Pitch is swung on fouled right at home plate by Pena. It's 1-1. One 1-0 one. One ball game now here in the second. 95 Indians. Of course, Saberhagen still active in 95. He was with the Rockies that year. Rockies made the playoffs that season as a wild card team. Here's a kick. Next pitch. Fastball. Strike. Has that outside edge. One and two. Saberhagen shut down in 96 and, and 97 pretty much. But came back in 98. Comeback player of the year. Another winning season as a Red Sox in 99. 
He had to miss 2000, tried to come back in 01, but it really didn't work. He was done in 2001, starting all the way back in 1984. Here's the pitch coming with two out. It's lifted in the air towards right, towards Daryl Motley. Motley on the move towards center, makes the catch. And that'll do it. At the end of one and a half, the 95 Indians with a one to nothing lead. And let's take a moment here to talk with the architect of these 1995 Indians. John Hart is the GM. And he's the guy that decided, you know what? I got a lot of young talent here. I'm going to sign these guys to long-term contracts. I know that's not done but I'm going to do it. He really had nothing to lose. I mean, the Indians were, were trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, and John Hart did that. Asking John, what was the light bulb moment where he said to himself, here's what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. Well, it, Josh, I, I think that you've got to look back at, you know, sort of what Cleveland was. I mean, you know, when I first went there, I came over uh, at the end of the 88 season. Uh, I left the Orioles and I left the field and went to the front office and, uh, that was the year they made the movie Major League, and it was pretty much appropriate why they picked the Indians because it was a, you know, it was a team that had really gone 40 plus years, um, you know, with sort of a, a, a just a losing franchise. I mean, there were limited fans, bad ballpark, um, no money, traded players off, and um, what we did was, you know, just started, you know, ground up, and uh, we did it with. You know, young players, um, we traded, uh, you know, some veteran guys like a Joe Carter. Uh, that sort of kick started us getting Sandy Alomar and Carlos Baerga. We traded for Omar Vizquel. We drafted Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey. Um, we signed a couple of free agents, Oral Hershiser, Dennis Martinez. It was sort of a, you know, if you will, sort of a true five-year rebuild. I mean, we really started, started this in 90. Um, we thought we were had turned the corner in 94. We moved into Jacobs Field, which was a, you know, a real blessing for that franchise. And uh, the fans just came out. I think we sold out, what, five, six years in a row um, before the season even started. I mean, it was just a great turnaround. And, uh, and really, it was because we had great players. I mean, we just, uh, the scouts, the player development guys, um, the pro scouts, I mean, everybody contributed to bake the cake. Um, and we just ended up with a magical team. Uh, with some stars, um, some young stars. Um, and, you know, we were probably uh, there for a, a nice run of, you know, seven, eight, nine years in Cleveland. Uh, the 95 team obviously was, was really the first. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a team that uh, not, you know, out of design, but um, it was sort of built around having a great offense, a great defense, um, you know, when you have Omar Vizquel, Kenny Lofton, you know, Carlos Baerga up the middle, I mean, we had guys that could catch the ball. We had power. Um, we had uh, speed. We had, you know, two, three guys that could steal, you know, 40, 50, 60 bases. So offensively, you know, we were, I thought, clearly one of the great offensive teams um, really ever. I mean, we just, you know, we just had, we had it all. And um, we had a strong bullpen. Um, we always wanted to build a good bullpen and probably uh, average at best starting pitching. We didn't have, if you will, sort of a dominant number one uh, or really a dominant number two. We had some, you know, experienced guys. We had some young guys. Um, but, you know, our starting pitching was always a little bit questionable. Um, but, you know, it played. It played well for us during the regular season. It played well in the postseason for a long time. And, um 
you know, unfortunately, we didn't finish the deal in our first World Series with the Braves. Um, but um, it was really the culmination of, you know, if you will, sort of a, a five-year rebuild. Now, thanks to John Hart. And that five-year rebuild landed on the shores of Lake Erie like a tsunami in the mid-1990s. So thanking John Hart, we mentioned that his 95 team is ahead here in Kansas City, one nothing over the 85 Royals. Bottom of the second now. And Steve Balboni at the plate against Oral Hershiser. The burly former Yankees prospect, 36 home runs in 85. That was a franchise record at the time. Had the ninth inning single, keying a comeback win in game six of the World Series. Very famous game. Pitch in there for a strike from Hershiser, nothing in one. Balboni going on to play for Seattle, Texas, and then the Yankees before retiring after 93. Retired to New Jersey. Scouted for a while for the San Francisco Giants, a team these Royals lost to in the World Series many years later. Pitch to Balboni coming. is banged on the ground towards second by Erga right there. He plants, he throws. He gets the slow-moving Balboni. Bye-bye, Balboni, indeed. Back to the dugout he goes, and here's Hal McRae. 259 hitter this year, 14 home runs. The respected clubhouse leader. And he could only sit and watch because the DH rule wasn't in play for the 85 World Series. Kind of a shame he didn't get in there. Pitch is high to him. It's 1-0. Hal McRae really helped define the DH rule in his 14 seasons in Kansas City. This 85 season this summer, his son Brian selected by the Royals. First round of the amateur draft. Pitch from Hershiser outside with the fastball 2-0. Now by 1991, Hal McRae will be managing these Royals, winning records three of his four seasons. They fired him in 94 with the club at 64-51. and And then started losing a lot after that. Pitch is low, off speed, three balls, no strikes. Hershiser's team ahead here, one to nothing. Of course, Hal McRae did get more managerial opportunities. Tampa Bay called him in 2001. Then he was a hitting coach for a while. Hershiser has the sign he wants. He kicks, he fires. He misses outside, ball four. So it's a four-pitch walk. And watch out if a ball's hit on the ground because Hal McRae's going to take you out at second base. Here is Frank White, second baseman. 249 hitter, 22 home runs. We mentioned McCray on the bench in the 85 World Series because of no DH, so it was Frank White that hit cleanup. He joined Jackie Robinson as the only second baseman to do that in World Series history. Al McCray, the lead from first, the pitch. Swung on and missed by White. It's nothing in one. A sinker from Oral Hershiser. Frank White, a defensive whiz. Eight gold gloves. But yeah, 22 regular season home runs in 85. Had a big World Series as well. Taking here and it's low, one and one. Tony Pena again with the leg kicked out. Makes that stop. Now Frank White will have that number 20 retired. Get a bronze statue in Kansas City. Sitting in the plaza beyond the outfield wall. What is now called Kauffman Stadium, the K. That's what Hershiser's looking for here, the K. Infield, the double play depth. And the pitch. 
Rolled sharply on the ground towards Bayerga. Could be two to Vizquel for one. Acrobatically to first. He got that double play. Boy, he did a great job to Vizquel getting out of the way of the incoming locomotive, Hal McRae. He was going to wipe him out. But Vizquel, it's like ballet over there. And he gets it done. So, it stays 1-0. Let us move ahead to further action. We like to do that on the throwback lead to keep these podcasts down to a, a nice length. Don't want to wear you out here. It would stay 1-0 until the top of inning six. Albert Bell crushing one. I mean crushing one deep in the left center. Back towards the fountains it went to Albert Bell to make it a 2-0 game. Hershiser settling in. Nothing really going well for Kansas City at home, although they had a little bit of a threat in the bottom of that sixth inning. Willie Wilson with a walk. George Brett, a very deep fly ball towards center, but Kenny Lofton racing back, making the catch outstretched on the warning track. Wouldn't have been a home run, but certainly could have been a double. Great running play by Lofton, and that kept the game at 2 to nothing. It stayed that way all the way through into the bottom of the ninth when Hershiser finally got out of there at 104 pitches. They brought on Jose Mesa to close it out. Of course, famously, he couldn't do that when it mattered in a World Series for Cleveland. But in this one, facing Brett, Balboni, and McCray, bounce out, strikeout, strikeout. Just an 11-pitch inning, and Jose Mesa slams the door. Your final, 2 to nothing. Oral Hershiser, eight innings of three-hit shutout ball, out-dueling Saberhagen. It was eight innings of seven-hit, two-run ball. And your final line score, 2-7-0 for the winning 95 Indians. The 85 Royals, the home team eliminated. No runs, three hits, and no errors in this one. The hits coming from Wilson and McCray and Motley. And that was it. The only player with two hits in this whole game, by the way, the Indians' Manny Ramirez had two. But Bell the homer, Hershiser the eight strong innings. And that will wrap things up from Kansas City. We have our Cinderella in the throwback league, right? We've got an 11 seed that will be in the Elite Eight of this tournament. The 95 Indians will go either to Detroit to play the 84 Tigers, or they'll host a game if the 12 seed can upset those Tigers next week. It's going to be the 98 Padres sending Andy Ashby to the mound at Michigan and Trumbull. Motor City Kitties counter with Peaches, Dan Petrie. Winner of that one gets the Indians a couple of months from now. This is Josh Lewin, hoping you enjoyed this one. A low-scoring affair with a home run and a fielder's choice scoring the two runs, making a winner of the Bulldog, Oral Hershiser. Don't forget, we are findable, if that's the word, on Twitter, at the throwback LG, the website with all the box scores and brackets for you. That's thethrowbackleague.com. Josh Lewin, thanking you for your time. And again, the final score in this one, it was the 95 Indians 2. The 85 Royals, nothing.